Good morning, everybody. It's good to have you here. It's good to have these folks here at breakfast. That was a nice time, delicious breakfast, so don't miss next week and the week after. It's a good time to get acquainted as well. We are continuing our series on uh, sound mind, mental and emotional well-being, and this week we're looking at mental and emotional well-being in other people. Probably take us two weeks to unpack that, uh, because other people have a lot to do in and about our emotional and our internal life. And so uh, we're going to start, we're going to use the app. If you have the CLC app, you can follow along. There are points, there are scripture references uh, to follow. And we're going to start with our homework. We've been doing it for the last several weeks. I have a little bit I want to suggest to you as well. And so I want to make sure we're all on the same page. Uh, If you would like to maximize your mental and emotional well-being, would you please stand? Hopefully that's unanimous. All right, you're like, nah, I'm good the way I am. All right, so, so you want to maximize. Okay, now I want you to like look at other people and like give them an air high five, fist bump kind of thing. Just, you know, imaginary fist bump. Yeah, okay, good job. All right. Okay, that's good for starters. Have a seat. It gets tougher from here. Doggone, I forgot to have you read the verse again because you read the verse better standing up. You promise you read it really good? You can stay seated. All right, if you don't, Okay, so this is our theme verse, 3 John verse 2. Out loud, let's go. Beloved, I pray. Just as your soul prospers. And that has been a theme for us uh, from the book of 3 John verse 2. And as we've been talking about that, uh, we turned that also into a meditation. Uh, based on that, the Bible talks about the value of our meditation to the Lord, and we should meditate upon God's uh, word, even while you're lying there in bed, can't sleep, uh, before you go to, go to sleep at night, uh, that just reflecting and thinking and, and being in that for the moment. And so the meditation we have, would you read this out loud with me, please? May I flourish, may I be in good health, and may it be well with my soul. Now, one thing that I worry about a little bit, if that's the right word, um, is that I feel to do due diligence, it takes me several hours to put a sermon together, lots of research, lots of prayer, lots of notes. Uh, The notes today are kind of borderline ridiculous. I couldn't fit it all. Usually it's an eight and a half by 11 sheet. It's 11 by 17. I have pages taped to that and all that kind of stuff. So I'd like tape it to my table, literally, all right? Um, And I know you are a bright crowd, but... Um, I don't know how you retain everything without taking notes. <laughs> Just went to a couple of conferences. At the very least, I'm like sitting there like doing screenshots of the speaker, what they're saying like up on the screen. So um, I want to make sure you retain this stuff because it's important. And people go, oh, this is great. This is great. Good. Are you taking notes? Because you know, I don't know the way my memory is. If I don't write it down or somehow make a notation of it, you know, I'll, I'll be like Tuesday. Like what? Well, well case in point, yesterday. So our tradition, we go to breakfast. We, work, we each work out on Saturday morning, different places, and then we go to breakfast together before I come to work. So Joyce left after breakfast to go run errands, and I got a little bit of time left before I go to work. And, and she says, don't forget, whatever. And so I said, oh, I'm going to set an alarm. So I decided I'd try talking to, to, to uh, Siri. Yeah, what, what's, what's the cone? The, the, we call it Amazon. There's another name for it. Alexa, thank you. All right, so... so I tell Alexa, Alexa, Amazon, um, set an alarm for noon, labeled, boom, because on my phone, I can label my alarms, right? So that was before breakfast, actually. So we go to breakfast, we come back, she runs her errand, 
Sure enough, noon happens. The alarm goes off. It won't tell me why it's alarming. I have no idea. And I text Joyce, why did I set an alarm at noon? She goes, I don't know. <laughs> She's a big fan of writing stuff down. So, uh, so you're probably better at remembering stuff than I am. But um, this is really important that you get it. And so it's not, I'm not just preaching a sermon. We don't know just to fill 75 minutes of a service. This needs this take-home stuff. So we're going to get uh, right in the room, experiential, little touchy-feely, psychologist office kind of thing. So um, I would like to ask you to set everything, put, you, put both feet flat on the floor. All right, just go with me on this. In fact, the first week I preached this, one of the guys in the church just jumped my case. You have got to talk about this. So I'm making one person really happy today. So uh, put everything off your lap. Put your hands on your lap. I know, just indulge me, okay? If a person next to you is not cooperating, you have the right to stand up and go, they're not doing it. We'll embarrass them. All right, so that gets the whole room complying. All right, so first of all, if you want to close your eyes, you can't. It's even easier that way. But first of all, just notice your breathing. Do it on purpose. Maybe a nice deep breath. Let it out. And then I'll go ahead and feed you the meditation based on 3 John verse 2, and you just quietly say it out loud. May I flourish? Take a deep breath. May I be in good health? Take another nice deep breath. May it be well with my soul. Notice your breathing. Physiologically, many of you, if we had an EKG on you, you're calming your heart rate down. You're slowing down your respirations. God made you body, soul, and spirit. He made our bodies to impact our emotions and our thoughts. And there's a calming effect when we do this on purpose. May I flourish. Say it, may I flourish. May I be in good health. May it be well with my soul. As you sit in those quiet moments and you pray, may I flourish, let God bring to mind ways in which he's blessing you, ways in which your life is flourishing. And maybe the Holy Spirit will bring to your mind as well things that you do that are kind of productive to that. May I be in good health. And, and it's appropriate to pray for your health if you have special needs, but also concerns. Also allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you about things you're doing that are good for your health and maybe things that you ought to change relative to your health. And as you meditate on, may it be well with my soul, the Holy Spirit can show you how God is your comforter, your good shepherd, the, the good places that there are in your emotions and your thoughts, but also the places where uh, your anxious thoughts need to be taken captive. So um, that is your homework that hopefully you've been doing, but your assignment is to do that every day this week, all right? And just take some time, and you will be pleasantly surprised how that begins to rearrange things inside. Uh, another thought is to do an inventory and a smile choice. Inventory and smile choice. What do, we, what do we mean by that? Well, first of all, Psalm 42 verse 11 shows us how we should be far more intentional about our inner lives than we normally are. Normally, we just think stuff and feel stuff and we just go screaming to an entire day, thinking and feeling and paying very little conscious attention to it. It's just happening. But the psalmist says in 42.11, Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? You ever find yourself in a bad mood or all stressed out? You don't quite know why? 
You just are. All right, you're just kind of going through, okay? It's valuable to say, okay, why am I feeling this? Get in touch with that. Drill into that. See what's going on. And then he does a pivot. Hope in God, for I shall praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. And you kind of read through that entire psalm. That's the very end of it. But, but the psalmist pays attention to what's going on here, what's going on here. And, and then he makes a choice, even though he's disturbed, he's stressed, something's not right inside. There's that, mm. he says, but I'm going I'm to hope in God and he is the help of my countenance. This is my countenance, all right? And so there's another homework assignment I have for you. And I love it when, when secular research validates the, the, validity, the truth of Scripture. God created us body, soul, and spirit. And so what we do physiologically impacts us emotionally, mentally, and even spiritually. And I read uh, Dr. Seligman is, is it big in happiness studies and quoted a study that talked about the connection that is between this and this and this. So we're going to do something that, since I read it and I got the book out this past week and kind of flipping through it, I'll use some of the material next week. Um, uh, it was 2013 when I first read the book, and so I made goals for myself in 2013. I've done this at least hundreds of times since 2013, and it is surprising to me how much it can change things. So if you ever kind of like have just like a blah day, it'll, it'll, it'll pick it up. If you're stressed out or if you're anxious, whatever, it's amazing. Doing this on purpose will just actually do, just take your mood and kind of go, whoop. It's kind of like, I don't know, a lift for your mood. You ready? Man, you're just overwhelming with feedback today, okay? <laughs> you ready? Well, I guess if we have to. So what we're going to do is put a big old toothy grin on. Come on, you can do it. God gave you one. Just give me a big old smile. Come on. And, and what we're going to do is you got to do this smile. Here's the key. For 30 seconds. I have literally, I got a little stopwatch. I'm, I have literally turned the stopwatch on. I'm having a bad day. I'll be in my office. I'm having a bad day. I, it's time for a therapeutic smile, I call it. And I just smile. There's nobody in the room. I'm just smiling. And it's amazing what starts to happen. It just lifts my countenance. I'll be on my way to a meeting. I'm all stressed out. I need a therapeutic smile. I'll just start smiling. People look at me in my truck. Oh, he's having a good day. No, I'm trying to make it a good day. So we're going to do therapeutic smiles for all, okay? Because God wired you. He didn't make you body, soul, and spirit. We're, we're all mushed together there. And you can do good things for you with your body that affect you here and here. So are you ready? Let's all stand up. You're groaning? Come on. Hey, whoa. There's a lot more ways to come from. You could be here till two if you keep acting like that, all right? So put a smile on your face. Here's your homework assignment right now. You must smile for 30 seconds. I'll make you look at people, okay? That keeps you smiling, okay? And if you look at somebody who's not smiling, you're entitled to raise your hand, call them out, we'll invite them on stage, and then they'll smile, okay? So get the grin going, okay? You ready? I'm looking at my stopwatch. Ready, set, go. 30 seconds. Just keep smiling, looking at people. Go on, turn around, look behind you, look in front of you. Come on, keep looking. You're not even halfway done yet. 30 whole seconds. Just keep smiling at them. Yeah. You still got time. Keep smiling. Toothy grin. Five, four, 
three, two, one. Now, yeah, give yourself a hand. The whole room went, I dare you, I dare you, the next bad day you're having, therapeutic smile. Oh, yeah, right. You just try it, okay? All right, go ahead and have a seat. And then if you want to maximize your mental and emotional well-being, which you all stood and said you did, here's a challenge point for you. According to studies all over the place, but I just picked two, the Child Mind Institute and the National Center for Health Research, social media use has been linked to depression, anxiety, and loneliness. People who frequently use social media feel more depressed and less happy with life than those who spend more time on non-screen-related activities and face-to-face -face activity. Social media, whoever branded it that was a genius and a total liar because it has not enhanced us socially. There's not a study out there that says it has. Social media apps and websites have the same kind of effect on the brain as playing a slot machine. Since you don't know the content you'll see until you open the app, the spontaneous results can actually cause a feeling of reward by releasing dopamine. Dopamine is linked to creating addictions. They can be healthy addictions or bad addictions. That's why when you work out and you feel, yeah, okay, you want to do it again? Because dopamine is released through your body and it reinforces that. Likewise, you get a dopamine hit when you open up and go, ah, 20 likes, <laughs> comments, right? Whatever. When, when you see that, you are getting addicted through dopamine hits to social media. I saw one article about a guy who I should have put his name down, was a, a guru in helping in the formative stages of social media in Silicon Valley. And he said he was doing a workshop and he asked the, the people there that were all Silicon Valley, like social media engineers. And he asked the question, how many of you want to live in the world we're creating? Nobody raised their hand. He literally had a crisis in, in his own life and he changed his career because of that. So let's just go a little further, social media. Multiple studies have found a strong link between heavy social media and an increased risk for depression, anxiety, loneliness, self-harm, and even suicidal thoughts. If we could back up 20 years and say, hey, we have some, some computer scientists that are on the verge of discovering something, making it available to everyone, even to your children, that when they get used to it, because they'll get addicted to it, physiologically addicted to it, the more they use it, they'll be prone to depression, anxiety, loneliness, self-harm, and even suicidal thoughts. Well, we go, yeah, bring it on. We'd ban it. Social media also promotes a sense of inadequacy about your life or your appearance. Even though you know images you're viewing on social media are manipulated and filtered, they can still make you feel insecure about how you look or what's going on in your own life. We're all aware other people tend to share just the highlights of their lives, but it creates feelings of envy and dissatisfaction. Don't you just love feeling envious? Don't you love just feeling dissatisfied with your life and what you look like? There's the fear of missing out, FOMO, F-O-M-O. It's a social addiction. And it talks about Facebook and Instagram seem to exacerbate feelings that others are having more fun or living better lives than you are. The idea that you're missing out on certain things can impact your self-esteem trigger anxiety and fuel even greater social media use, much like an addiction. 
FOMO can compel you to pick up your phone every few minutes to check for updates or compulsively respond to each and every alert, even if that means taking risks while you're driving. I won't even ask for a show of hands how many of you have lied to your phone when you were driving and it asked you, are you driving? And you said, no. (laughs) Risks while you're driving, missing out on sleep at night, or prioritizing social media interaction over real-world relationships. You see that happen all the time. Joyce and I were in an airport uh, last week going to a conference, and the whole airport, we walked by gates full of people that were going on vacation together and trips together. And you know what they were doing together? Looking at screens totally isolated from each other. You go out to dinner, and you see families going out to dinner. That's what they call it. What it means is somebody's going to put food on the table, and we're going to sit here and ignore each other and just do this all the time. Social media. That's a lot to read, but as I read it, I thought, you know what? That's going to step on a lot of toes because some of you, you, are st- you, you, you cheat yourself of sleep. You sneak your social media. You're doing it while you're driving. You're constantly checking to see if you got any hits, if you got any whatever, and you're just up there, whatever, and you are addicted to it. And then there's a study at University of Pennsylvania found that high usage of Facebook, Snapchat, and Instagram increases rather than decreases feelings of loneliness. Conversely, the study found that reducing social media usage can actually make you feel less lonely and isolated and improve your overall well-being. Depression and anxiety, the more you prioritize social media interaction over in-person relationships, the more you're at risk for developing or exacerbating mood disorders such as anxiety and depression. Cyberbullying, parents and grandparents, take note. One in 10 teens report being bullied on social media and many others are subjected to offensive comments. Self-absorption, also called narcissism. Sharing endless selfies and all your innermost thoughts on social media can create an unhealthy self-centeredness and distance you from real-life connections. And to those of you who think it says something positive about how you change your, your photo like every day or every other day, and there's selfie, 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 it's probably telling the rest of us about who is the center of your universe. And if you're thinking of dating somebody who's the center of their universe? Think again. Who did I say that? So here we go. I'm not here to influence friends and make friends influence people. I'm here to be good for you. A whole, everybody, everybody stood and said you want to improve your emotional and mental well-being. Everybody stood. It is obvious if you really want to do that, I'm going to invite you to take the great CLC social media pause. If you have the courage, if you really mean it, here's what I'm inviting you to do. I'm going to give you till midnight. So go do all your social media. I'm setting off for my podcast. Okay, whatever, okay? <laughs> You're not allowed to open up shadow accounts, okay? So <laughs> starting at midnight tonight, 
and going until Friday all the way to 12.01, which means Saturday morning, for five days, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, if you will join me in not doing social media, yes, you can text people, you will not do social media, Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, uh, TikTok, or whatever, ones I don't even know, okay? If you'll swear off it for five days, take the pause. Stand, I'm standing. Do it with me. Come, right up. Who's going to do it? Whoa, yeah. We either got some courage. We either got courage or liars. I don't know which. No, courage. Stay up, stay up, okay? All right, first of all, give yourselves a hand, okay? Way to go. I would love to tell you, journal your experience and then Facebook me when it's over, but that seems inconsistent, all right? But, all right, have a seat. Notice. First of all, notice a couple things. Notice how hard it's going to be, how hard it is the first day or so to not pick it up, to not log on. Notice the FOMO that'll hit you, the fear of missing out, the fear of not texting, not, not messaging back, not liking, the fear of all that. But as it goes on, notice the that isn't in your life. By Friday, notice the difference between Friday and like yesterday when you were fully into it. And my prayer is simply that God will speak to us and say, okay, if it's not a healthy level, turn that way down to wherever a healthy level needs to be. Because all the studies show we're fools for going after it like it's made to be gone after. If we really want to improve what's in here and here, we use this very special, Sparingly. So, and then another thing, just uh, it's not on the notes, but boy, help us improve the, the relational climate at CLC. And going to the breakfast is a great way to do it. Breakfast was delicious, by the way. Um, but it's also a great way to just connect with people, get to know people. And so you guys are next week and you guys are the, the second week. So don't miss that. 45 minutes before church. And it was so cool last night. Um, we, on Saturday, we do like a dinner once in a while, like once a month. And it wasn't a dinner night, but before service, I'm walking through and the whole lobby's got people just sitting there before church having coffee. I'm like, yeah, way to go. Just, just don't make this just a 75 minute stop by. Get here early or stay late a little bit and just connect with people. It's good for us. All right. Let's talk about fruit that we grow and fruit that we share. Fruit we grow, fruit we share. Galatians 5, 22 and 23, and then a couple other verses, describe the inner world of an emotionally and mentally healthy person. Read it with me, Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Let's go. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Take a, take a deep breath. Man, I, would, I love the idea of more love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, meekness, self-control. That, that's a great meditation right there. 
Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Make it your ambition to cultivate the fruit of the Spirit in you. You can't do it on your own, but the Holy Spirit will do it in you, through you, with you. As you participate, He will add to that and you can see greater amounts of those fruit in your life. And, and it's not only for you to, to cultivate that, first of all, to enjoy yourself and then also to share with other people. And so when we talk about this fruit, I want you to enjoy the fruit yourself. I want you to share the fruit with other people. And I also want you to share the fruit of the Spirit with people who have loved ones who are dealing with severe emotional and mental issues. Let's unpack that. First of all, for yourself. Some of us need to be kinder to us. Some of us need to be more gentle with us. Some of us need to be more patient with us. Some of you are really impatient and really unkind and really just, man, the thoughts about you that are so harsh and critical and whatever and punitive, they are just there. I don't know where you learned them, how you got them, but they're... And if that's the case, let me, let me offer to you that that's not the way it's supposed to be. And I read a couple of books for this series. One of them was Emotional Agility, really good book, uh, Susan David. And uh, she says, in fact, one of the greatest paradoxes of human experience is that we can't change ourselves or our circumstances until we accept what exists right now. Acceptance is a prerequisite for change. This means giving permission for the world to be as it is because it's only when we stop trying to control the world that we can make peace with it. We still don't like the things we don't like. We just cease to be at war with them. And once the war is over, change can begin. So would you repeat after me, the planet is fallen. And I live on it. So guess who else is fallen? You and me. Would you say we all got our junk? I'm not perfect till I get to heaven. I didn't mean for you to repeat that, but that was nice too, okay? <laughs> I'm just speaking for myself. I'm not perfect till I get to heaven. Oh, you aren't either, all right? Someday we'll, we'll be just like him when we see him. But that's a process. I accept Christ, remember the drawing early on, and boy, in my spirit, boom, I'm reborn. And then the, and then the sanctification process begins and he renews my mind, renews my, my thoughts, my, my, my heart, my, my emotions, my choices. And that's a lifelong process. And, and so at least accepting the fact, looking in the mirror and saying, you know, you got your own junk. You, you got your stuff. You're, you are a byproduct of a fallen plant like everybody else is. You are a person who needs the grace of Jesus Christ like everybody else. And then breathe it deep and thank him for it. She wanted to say, I often advise my clients that a good way to become more accepting and compassionate toward yourself is to look back at the child you once were. After all, you didn't get to choose your parents, your economic circumstances, your personality, or your body type. Recognizing you had to play the hand you were dealt is often the first step towards showing yourself more warmth, more kindness, more forgiveness. You did the best you could under the circumstances, and you survived. The next step is to think of yourself as the, the hurt child you once were, running up to you, the adult you are now. Would you first mock the child, demand an explanation, tell her it was her fault, say, I told you so? Not likely. You would first take that young, upset child in your arms and comfort her. Why should you treat the adult you any less compassionately? 
Showing yourself kindness is, is even more important when you go through the rough seasons of life. Studies show that people that go through traumatic circumstances, traumatic losses, divorces, career crises, whatever, if, if they are compassionate toward themselves, or then, well, here I go again, I blew it, I did it. If you jump on yourself and condemn yourself, make it through far less healthy than if you give yourself enough grace and compassion. And so if you can't give yourself compassion, you're not going to be very good at giving it to other people or patience or love or kindness. So as that fruit gets cultivated in your life, be the first one to, to taste the sweetness of it and just, okay, Lord, I'm a work in process. And you love me and you forgive me. And so I'm going to move forward in that. And then learn to give that fruit of the Spirit to other people who are struggling. All of us struggle emotionally, mentally, good days, bad days. And some people, their struggle is more than others. I won't ask for a show of hands, but on a scale of one to 10, uh, one, I barely have issues with it. And 10, it is a struggle for me every day, all day. Uh, a lot of yours are one to five, not that big. But many of you, man, it's five to 10. I mean, it, life is an emotional and mental deal for me. And if that's the case, what these people need from the rest of us is not, well, get your act together. I was talking to a Christian counselor I just met. They've been here a couple of weeks. And he says, it's nice just to hear a church affirming this rather than making it somebody's fault that they're anxious or it's their fault that they're depressed or they're not a good enough Christian. And, you know, when you are struggling, it's nice that somebody is kind towards you. It's nice if you just encounter a good person that just seems to care about you. And, and, and you know what? They're gentle in their remarks. They're loving towards you. Sound familiar? Fruit of the Spirit. People who are struggling emotionally and, and mentally, one of the best things they need is to taste of the fruit of the Spirit through your life, through your attitude, through your words, to them. And then a third area, and, and before I leave that, uh, a proper theological understanding or an improper one, if you leave here and say, well, you know what, me and God is enough, I would say prove that from this book, especially the last half of it, the New Testament. That's not true. You are not meant to be you and God being enough. Me and the people of God is enough. The body of Christ when it even comes to, if you come to the Holy Spirit seminar, you'll find every believer has spiritual gifts. One, two, three spiritual gifts. None of us have all of them. Why? Because God doesn't want us to be self-sufficient. I got gifts. You don't have, you got gifts. I don't have, but together we're complete. In the Gospel of John, Jesus had sibling friends, Lazarus and his two sisters, Mary and Martha. Lazarus dies, right? He gets sick. They send for Jesus. Jesus, come. You got to heal Lazarus. Jesus takes his time, goes on a detour, gets there days late. Lazarus is dead. And his, his sister says, Lord, if you'd have been here, he wouldn't have died, kind of accusing him. He's been dead for days. And he goes, move, move the stone away from the, from the tomb. And they go, oh, Lord, by now he stinks. We don't, we don't want to... Move the stone. They do. And he, what does he do? He, call, he prays. He calls, Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus raises from the dead, but they wrapped him in linen grave cloth, okay? So he comes out of the tomb <laughs> like that, okay? Jesus could have said, Lazarus, come forth, and just gone, and the grave clothes fall off. But he didn't. What does he say? You take them off. 
You are meant to be part of the healing, the resurrection, the delivering from bondage, from the death in this life, in the lives of other people. We're to be part of that healing restoration process. That's why I love Celebrate Recovery. If you have hurts that you can't get over, yeah, give it up for CR. If you have hurts you can't get over, if you have hang-ups, stuff that it's just, man, that's your emotional and mental triggers, all right? If you have addictions in your life, every Monday at 6 o'clock, that's the only invitation you need. Show up at door two, there's dinner together, and then there's a large group activity where we celebrate recovery and then break into small groups. And, and, it's, and we go there together in recovering. It's biblical. We're supposed to do that with each other, bearing each other's burdens, giving the fruit of the Spirit to each other. And then the last one on giving the fruit of the Spirit is sharing it with people who have loved ones who have serious emotional or mental struggles. First of all, to those of you, whether it's your husband, your wife, your parents, your kids, your siblings, give yourself the grace to not be able to fix it. Give yourself the, because there's so much guilt, there's so much frustration, there's so much, if I only, if we only, if we keep trying to fix that. Part of it is that acceptance thing, just accepting, okay, God, I, I, I can't. If you could have fixed it by now, you would have. So you can't. Give yourself that grace. Learn to reach out and love the people, bear the burden with you. In fact, about yourself. If you look at the person in your mirror and you are so tired of, you know, you're, you're on a scale of one to 10, every day is like seven, eight, nine, eight, nine, ten 10 for you. And the depression is overwhelming and the anxiety is so, and it's just, it just beats you up. Give yourself the grace to not be able to fix you. We'll get to that a little later. But, but the fruit of the Spirit is so essential to to take it in for yourself and to give it to other people and to give it to other people who have loved ones who likewise struggle. So let's land on this final point. Practice intentionality with your inner world. Tell your neighbor, he's going to run over a few minutes. Relax. Because <laughs> I should have been at this point in my message like five minutes ago. I have a stopwatch. It doesn't mean anything. I just put up here just to make me feel like I'm structured. So anyway. <laughs> Proverbs 4.23 says, Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. Pay attention to your inner person. Pay attention. Why so downcast? Why are you disturbed within me? The psalmist models that for us. And, and Solomon tells us to guard our heart. Pay attention to what's going on inside. And I want to say to everyone here, everyone who can hear my voice, you are not powerless to deal with your inner world, even if you can't totally change it. All the five to tens, or all those who it's a one to five, then you have an acute situation that's just pegged your meter in anxiety or depression or whatever, you are not powerless to deal with it. You may not be able to totally change. You may not get rid of depression or the anxiety or whatever the total disorder behavior is, but you are not powerless and just, I just got to live okay. Not at all. So first of all, don't just internalize and bottle things up. Don't just kick into think mode. How many of us are thinker types? I'm a thinker. Man, the more you, and you just internalize and just think and stress, and if you bottle that up, uh, bottling up often can increase the sense of anger. And the more you have anger, you don't know what to do with, and you turn it inward, guess what anger turns into? Depression. 
So some of you that have chronic depression, first of all, start journaling, do all the homework that you didn't take notes on, go back and rewatch the messages and take the notes, okay? Even see a Christian counselor. But at the very least, ask yourself the question, if you can't get past your chronic depression, what am I angry about? Because many times there's a root of anger somewhere. And then come to terms with it. Figure out how to deal with it. And then there's another, when you bottle things up, rather than uh, discussing it in a healthy way, uh, one author called it co-brooding, where you're all about something and you find somebody else that's all about the same thing. They might be a coworker or a neighbor or whatever. And you go together. You know what that does? You're not really doing anything healthy. It just increases negative toxicity and anxiety. So there's something to do with what you're feeling and there's something to do verbally and communicating, but that's not it. So develop an emotional vocabulary. Say emotional vocabulary. For some of you, it's the first time you put those two words together, okay? Um, words used positively can be very helpful. Let me read for you. This is from Emotional Agility. Words have enormous power. Bible says life and death are in the power of the tongue. Enormous power. I just let that linger for a minute. What you say matters. It can kill or restore. Fill in the blank. Relationships, hope, careers, friendships, marriages, families. What you say matters. So words have enormous power. Again, the Bible told us that. The wrong word has led to wars, not to mention the end of countless marriages. There's a world of difference between stress and anger or stress and disappointment or stress and anxiety. If we can't accurately label what we're feeling, it becomes difficult to communicate well enough to get the support we need. If a client says, I'm stressed, and I take that at face value, I might advise her to list out her priorities or to delegate more. But under the, under the topic of I'm stressed, her real meaning might be, I thought my career would be more satisfying than it is, and I'm disappointed with my life. Which is a whole different ballgame. When the truth of that struggle is laid bare, tips on delegating or setting priorities just aren't going to cut it. And we tend to use a couple of words to mean a whole lot of emotions. Oh, I'm stressed. Oh, I'm frustrated. She goes on to say, it's also true that sometimes when people can't clearly express their feelings in words, the only emotion that comes through loud and clear is anger and the unfortunate way that they express that. Learning to label emotions with a more nuanced vocabulary can absolutely be transformative. People who can identify the full spectrum of emotions, who realize how, for example, sadness differs from boredom or pity or loneliness or nervousness, they do much, much better at managing the ups and downs of ordinary existence than those who see everything in black and white. I'm stressed. I'm okay. So learn to nuance when you ask yourself the question and pay attention to your inner world. Why am I disturbed? Why am I in despair? What am I feeling when I'm guarding my heart? Learn to nuance your feelings to accurately identify them. So here's the last piece of homework. We're going to do it in class. All right. Here's how you do it. Put 10 fingers up. Now, if you want to phone a friend, you can participate with somebody nearby and you'll have to do 15. Okay? Otherwise, I want you to out loud say 10 feelings like stressed, sad, angry, hurt, and you can't use those four, so no repeats, all right? So I just took four of them, all right? All right? So if you, if you want to do it with somebody you're with, you only have to come up with 15. Otherwise, you do it by yourself, 10. Out loud, come up with 10. 
If you get stuck, you can cheat. Ask your neighbor for help, okay? Ready? Go. Ten of them, at least. All right, some of you are stuck. Some of you are like, only 10? Get good at identifying your inner world and, and use it a couple of ways. First of all, journaling. You've heard that over and over again. It's amazing how much journaling can mirror the value of counseling. If you go through a really difficult experience, really emotional, st stressful, whatever, whether it's a day, a week, a crisis, whatever, one of the best ways to cope with that is write for 20 minutes about your emotions, that experience. Write it all day for today, 20 minutes. Tomorrow, write again, 20 minutes about it. Third day, write 20 minutes about it. After three days, take those three pages that you've written or how many pages in 20 minutes and tape them up. No, don't tape them up, tear them up. Just throw them away. There is something phenomenally therapeutic about basically getting in touch with why are you in despair? Why am I disturbed within me? And then writing it down and getting in touch with it. And then just, okay, now flush it out. Learn to use those words with other people when it's me and the body of Christ. And how do you share your burdens so they can bear that burden with you rather than just say, oh, I'm stressed. Now be able to do a little deeper dive. All right, another thought is be honest with yourself. So you want to develop an emotional vocabulary. Be honest with yourself. In John chapter 5, there's a story of a place called the Pool of Bethesda where an angel would come uh, unseen and stir the waters of this pool. And the first person who got in the water, once it started getting wavy, was healed miraculously. So Jesus comes to the pool of Bethesda and John 5 verse 5 it says, a man was there who had been ill for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been a long time in that condition, say a long time. He said to him, do you wish to get well? Crazy question that is. The sick man answered him, sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred. But while I am coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your pallet and walk. There's three thoughts I want to unpack out of that at least. First of all, it says that he had been in that condition. When you're in that condition for that long, 38 years, many of you aren't even 38 years old yet, it can become a lifestyle, a lifestyle habit of being in that condition. Make the connection emotionally, mentally. You can be in that condition for years. Second, over time, we feel increasingly powerless. He asked him, do you wish to get well? And what is his response? Man, you're Jesus. Absolutely. Yes, sir. I want to get well. No, his response was, uh, I have no one to put me in the pool. And the third thing we see there is that he comes up with reasons why not. That takes over expectations. Nobody puts me in the pool and and so while I'm coming, somebody else steps in. I, I doubt if he even tried to get up when he saw the water surge, kind of pick his head up and, oh, it's stirring again. If we're not careful, 
if we're on a five to 10 end of life, we get so accustomed to the anxiety, to the depression, to the anger, to the isolation, to the whatever, that, that we almost become tone deaf to it and to alternatives. And I kind of had a spontaneous sermon illustration yesterday uh, come in and we do a tech run through early in the afternoon and then I go in my office and redo my notes and the team does uh, worship rehearsal on stage. And the band was pretty loud yesterday and I just couldn't concentrate. My office was down the hall. And so I went out in the lobby where we had these, these earplugs and I stuck them in my ears so I could concentrate while the band was playing. And it makes it, makes it muffled. And so I, I wrote all my notes, redid my notes, and I created this crazy set of notes here. And, uh, and so church time, it gets close to getting ready for church, and I had to go by the West Auditorium. Louis wanted me to look at it for the breakfast. So I left my office, and I'm walking with the safety team guy, and I'm walking. I walked by two dozen people, and they're like, hey, good to see you. How you doing? Saying hi. And I go to the West Auditorium, and there's the team there. Hey, how's everybody going? It looks great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I come all the way to my back room, my prayer room, and the prayer team is there. I'm telling them about the service, and Dirk's kind of briefing them, and I'm doing sound check. I come back, and we pray. And while I'm praying, I'm like, man, I sound different. <laughs> and then I start laughing. I left the earplugs in. I walked by at least two or three dozen people. Nobody said, what's with the earplugs? And I, and I got so used to them, not fully hearing, cheating myself, if you will, of what I could hear. I just got used to it. Some of you, this message is falling on deaf ears because you are so accustomed. I, this is the way I am. Well, I try to overcome it. Well, I, I won't. I'm not telling you you can never have depression, but I'm telling you you are not powerless to cope with it. You are not without help. You are not without recourse. And so Jesus wasn't blaming the guy. He was empowering him. And I'm not blaming you. I'm empowering you. Whatever your struggle is, and I'm talking to the five to tens right now, and there's a lot of you out there, okay? I want to encourage you that you've been in this condition a long time, and you may be in this condition until you get to heaven, but you're not powerless while you're in it. And, and the next point goes right along with it. And, and by the way, remember, thoughts are not facts. I've thought a lot of things that aren't true. I believe a lot of things that weren't true. I thought things and reacted things to things that weren't accurate. Just because you think it doesn't mean it's true about you, about life, about whatever. So just sound those out. And we go back early in the series, whatsoever things are true, let your mind dwell on those things. So the last thought, spend emotional and mental energy imagining the truth. So I want to encourage you to what I call a spiritual daydream. I mean, you spend loads of mental time daydreaming, if you will, in the anxious area of life, in the depressed, and you, think, and you, you can take really deep, painful dives there. I want to encourage you to be fair to yourself. However much time you spend on those mental deep dives and emotional deep dives there, spend as much time in a different direction, imagining the truth. Here's the truth. Jesus said in the Gospel of John, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. He will not leave you comfortless in your anxiety, in your depression, in your fear, in those self-destructive times. He will not leave you comfortless. And the Bible says in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, verse 2, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Blessed be the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, listen to this, and God of all comfort. Say all comfort. Not just physical comfort when I'm in physical pain. He is the God of emotional comfort when my heart is breaking. He is the God of mental comfort when I am an anxious, nervous wreck. He is the God who can comfort my soul and restore my soul as my good shepherd when I am as depressed as I can be. He is the God of all comfort who will not leave you comfortless. He will come to you. And then it says, just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. And, and as you are imagining the truth, I want you to imagine the truth of being a new creature, a creature, a new creation. In fact, if you indulge me, close your eyes. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says, if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. Old things pass away. Old mental habits, old emotional habits pass away if we're intentional, if we apply it through the Spirit, and all things get in a renewal process. They don't get necessarily fully renewed. That's heaven. But I want you now to dream, daydream for a moment. If indeed you're a Christian and God is doing a renewing work in you, I want you to imagine you, see you. All right, picture yourself with more patience than you currently have. Less ruffled by things. Or picture yourself kinder than you are now. Picture yourself more gentle. Picture yourself with more self-control. Those things you just can't do. Picture yourself being able to make the right choices more often. Picture yourself more loving and loved, more joyful, having a greater sense of peace. Picture yourself with more fruit of the Spirit welling up in your life and you taste the goodness of it for you. Just picture that for a moment. And then picture you being that way to other people more than you are now. More to offer, more to give, more to share. How beautiful is that? Satan is so good at reminding us who we've been up until now. All the anxiety year to date, all the depression, all the stress, all the dysfunction, all the whatever year to date. And, and God wants to say, yeah, okay, well, that was. But I'm, I'm a God of renewal. And my process will be done, not, not on earth. I don't expect to ever be fully rid of anxiety, stress, whatever, on this planet. But when I get to heaven, there will be no more tears. There'll be no more crying. There'll be no more pain. In the meantime, I am not powerless to deal with it. You can deal with the worst of this life and the darkest of days you go through. God will not leave you comfortless at the very least. He may not make any of it go away, but He will give you the grace and His presence to get through it until tomorrow. And when tomorrow comes, He'll get you through that day and the next day and the next day. He will not leave you comfortless. And you need to imagine yourself learning how to prevail even in the midst of it. So we're going to close in prayer in just a moment, but as Pastor Josh plays this, just go ahead and imagine what it's going to be like to be kinder to yourself, more patient, to have more of the fruit of the Spirit for you and for others, and to know His comfort and to know that it's well with your soul.
amazing love that welcomes me the kindness of mercy that bought with blood my wholeheartedly my soul undeserving God you're so
stand together with us as we close I want to have a special word of prayer I want to remind you that we have Deeper Dive Wednesday night uh, last Wednesday Dr. Carell a psychiatrist shared with us and he gave us 18 healthy lifestyle things you can do from miserable to mediocre to flourishing and I've made a couple hundred copies of this for you there on the info table when you leave today, the desk, if you go to your left, just to the left there, uh, feel free to take one. This Wednesday, we have a mental health professional who deals with children. So if you have kids or grandkids, we'll be taking questions about that. And next week, we'll have uh, one more round of mental health professionals before we close the series out. But I'm asking you to bow your heads with me. And before I pray, if you're here and, and you're a five to tenor, I just want to remind you how much God loves you. And while he, we would like it if he just made all anxiousness or depression cease, all dysfunction go away. He's going to do that. It's called heaven. And he can help you significantly over this journey in life to see more and more fruit of the Spirit and less and less of those struggles. But it may be something that you simply learn to deal with with God's help every day, but you can deal with it effectively with God's help every day. And so do the homework. And for every miserable, anxious moment that you spend, also spend time having those daydreams of who He is shaping you to be. And as I pray, our prayer team will come down front at the close of the service. Some of you need to just find somebody to pray with because your burden is lightened when we share that and they'll be happy to hear what you have to pray about. So Lord, I, I pray especially for those that I've spoken to today that it's not just a bad mood, it's not just a tough day, but it, it's more of a lifestyle. It's a condition that they've been in through no fault of their own. Lord, there may be causes for it. We may not ever understand why. But I pray that you will make my brothers and sisters overwhelmingly aware that you will not leave them comfortless. You will come to them. And you're the God of all comfort, not just physical comfort, but emotional, mental, relational, spiritual comfort. Holy Spirit, you're our comforter. Come alongside us. I pray you touch them in a very meaningful, undeniable way. And Lord, guide us and grow us as we follow you to become more and more like Jesus and let those character traits of the fruit of the Spirit be ours and let us share that with ourselves, and then give that to others freely around us. And so we pray for healing. We pray for strength. We pray for joy. We pray for anticipation of what's ahead. And we pray that at Christian Life Center, we are a place that we can be known for who we are and care for each other and go through this life together, growing further into the image of Jesus Christ. We ask it all in your name. And everybody said, amen. God bless you. Please feel free to come and see our team. See you Wednesday night.